0: How's everybody doing? Good? (laughs) So two things, neither one important at all. One is I accidentally printed my notes on cardstock this week. So I feel just extra, extra like, I don't know, professional or clean, it's very stiff. And then second thing is, uh, and if you've lived in Tennessee for any length of time, you might find this interesting. Did you see the National Geographic said Nashville is the number one tourist destination in the world? Did you see that? No way, hold on. So like you could either go see the Colosseum in Rome, the pyramids in Cairo, right? The beaches of Maui or the the honky-tonk bars of Nashville, Tennessee, right? So this is, yeah, something to be proud of, I guess. It's weird. I saw that last night and I'm like, that has to be a joke or something. It wasn't. Sent it to my wife and she goes, that has to be a joke. And I'm like, it's not, it's real, it's real. Okay, anyways. So we have been working through the book of 1 Corinthians. If you've never been here before, this is what we do. Go through whole books of the Bible, line by line, word by word, (laughs) syllable by syllable, all the way through, regardless of how uncomfortable or odd or different or challenging that may be, it's kind of what we do. So been working through this particular book for a while. And what this book of the Bible is about, it's a letter written from a man named Paul to a church in Southern Greece, um, this was an area that was very prosperous, uh, actually a city roughly about the size of, of Murfreesboro, a couple hundred thousand people. Very prosperous area, uh, very educated area. Uh, this was an area where they had basically every advantage and opportunity that they, that they would have need to live a life that honored God. They had access to Paul, good Christian leadership. They had access to the scripture. Uh, it was a church of about 50 to 150 people. The problem that was happening and the reason why Paul wrote this letter and then a second letter to them is this group of Christians in Southern Greece, instead of following the teachings of the Bible and the principles of Jesus, they were following the principles of their culture, their society. And because of this, all kinds of problems were taking place within the church. And that's essentially what this whole letter is written about. Now, where we've been the last couple of weeks in chapters 12, 13, and 14, is Paul talks a lot about how the church is supposed to handle this, actually worshiping together in service, because there was a couple of things that the church was doing uh, improperly when they were gathering together and worshiping, and it was prohibiting new people from coming in and hearing the truth, hearing the message be taught. So last week we were in chapter 14, the first half of it, we're finishing out the rest of chapter 14 today, and what we essentially talked about was this, If we're to function properly as a church, we are to worship God, it says this in the book of 1 John, right? In spirit and in truth. That means that we worship God both intellectually with our brains, right? That's why God gave you that. And then the other thing is we worship God with our emotions, our hearts, our feelings. And the problem that we're gonna see that was going on in this church at that time was it was all feeling. It was all feeling, all emotion. So we're to be filling up, right? with the the desire to pour out. And the only way to do that is we worship God with our intellect and with our feelings, right? Our head and our heart. This week, we're gonna talk about this. I don't know if you guys remember the old like Rocky and Bullwinkle cartoons. I couldn't think of one title, so I just used two. They used to do that on the old Rocky and Bullwinkle cartoons. No one watched those, obviously, except for me. Four services, you're the fourth one and and just no response. It's someone over here, right? Here's what we're gonna talk about today. Are we modeling supernatural and orderly lives to the people around us? Are we living out our faith and are we living it in an orderly fashion to where anyone feels welcome to talk to us about that faith? The second thing that we're gonna talk about is this, are you and I lacking peace or contentment or order? Simply put, today we're gonna to talk about chaos versus order. That's what Jesus, uh, that, that's, Jesus is a God of order. Chaos is not of God. Paul is gonna say that in this chapter. And so we're gonna talk about in the very tumultuous, crazy time that we live in today, right? That it is not God's desire for us to live in chaos, okay? As the CSX train rolls by and interrupts what I'm doing, right? So, okay, let me pray. You should have got a notes handout when you came in. has everything I'm gonna say in there. Everything will be on the screens around the room. If you have a smartphone, the Experience Community app, if you download that and click on sermon notes, everything is right there. If you have a copy of the scripture, if you have a Bible in your hand, right after the book of Romans, we have the book of 1 Corinthians. We'll be in chapter 14. We'll start at verse 20, all right? Okay, let me pray. Father, Lord, we love you. God, we thank you, Lord, for everyone who has come into this room this morning, whether they be a believer or a non-believer. I pray, Lord, that as we study the Bible today, I pray that everyone learns something new, God, that we are encouraged, that we are built up by it, Lord. So I pray, Lord, that you just keep your hand on our church this morning. We don't just pray for our church, we pray for every church in our city. We pray for our other campuses and all the churches in those cities, God. We pray for our wonderful friends, Becky and Topher, and the work that they're doing in Southeast Asia, God. We pray, Lord, that you just keep them safe and that we can be a really supportive church of what they're doing over there. And God, we just pray at the end of all this that our study honors you and that it blesses us, God. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. We pray all this in your son's name, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. I'm going to read a little bit and I'll do my best to go back and and we'll kind of break it down, okay? Paul writes this, brothers and sisters, don't be childish in your thinking, but be infants in regards to evil and adult in your thinking. It is written in the law, that's the Old Testament, I will speak to this people by people of other tongues and by the lips of foreigners, and even then they will not listen to me. Speaking in other tongues, then, is intended as a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy is not for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore the whole church assembles together and they are all speaking in other tongues and people who are outsiders or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But it is all, if all are prophesying and some unbeliever or outsider comes in, he is convicted by all and is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart will be revealed. And as a result, he will fall face down and worship God, proclaiming God is really among you. Okay, so what does this mean for several chapters now that we've been studying, right? Paul has been talking about the whole point of what you and I are doing this morning, right, in this room right now. The whole point is to create an environment to where Christians and non-Christians can come in, we can all learn something, we can be built up, we can be encouraged. This is important because if we're going to be sharing the word of God and sharing the message about him, we have to be spiritually Mature in this place. That's the only way the outside world is going to be able to hear the truth, is if we grow in our spiritual maturity. So, to emphasize that, this is maybe the most profound thing that we read this morning. Paul says, Don't be childish in our thinking, but be infants in regard to evil and adult in our thinking. This is very profound. What this simply means is this, and it's very simple, it's not hard to understand. That as believers, we are to stay away from things that God does not approve of. We are to gravitate towards things that God does approve of. We're to grow in our spiritual maturity and make disciples of Jesus. What that means is this. It is impossible for us to grow spiritually if our faith is simply about our consumption. If it's about coming in here, consuming, it's all about me. Listen, it's gonna sound like I'm gonna pick on Pentecostal churches this morning, but I'm not trying to. I was saved in a Pentecostal church, but there was language in our Pentecostal church where, man, I'm gonna go get my blessing. I'm gonna go get this for me. I'm gonna go and it's me, 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 me. And that is not Christianity. We are filled up and we're to continually be filled up by knowledge and by the power of God for the sake of going back out into this world and pouring that out on others to do good things for others, right? The Bible says to do good works, so your God in heaven will be glorified. It's not just about our consumption. That's a very selfish American culture way of looking at church and faith. And that's not the way it is supposed to be. Paul also paraphrases an Old Testament verse, right, from Isaiah chapter 28, and he's talking about tongues. We've been talking about speaking in tongues and prophecy and the gifts of the Spirit for like three or four weeks now, right? Probably more about the topic of speaking in tongues than you've ever heard in your life, but that happens to be where we are in the Scripture, so we just go for it, right? But he talks about tongues. And he talks about all throughout the Bible, God has used foreigners, right? People living in places where they're not originally from to share the news about God. Virtually almost all the Old Testament you have, or the Torah, the first five books, right? You have the, the, the group of, of followers of God who are outside of where they are from. And it's sharing the truth in other places in the globe, in the New Testament. Jesus didn't keep his disciples in Jerusalem. He said, go out be a foreigner in a foreign land. You're going to be speaking a foreign language. But he uses those tongues to go out and share the gospel. Speaking in tongues in church can also be used like this. He says the gift of tongues is for the non-believer. What he means by that is in a setting like this, theoretically, if someone were to stand up and speak in an angelic language, right, that's a gift from God, someone else were to stand up and and interpret that, what was said, he's saying there might be someone in the church community who was like, oh my gosh, like that was weird. Never seen that. But the interpretation was exactly what I needed to hear. So it would be this miraculous display. And then a non-believer would be like, "I, I need to address my faith, right? That's crazy that that happened. So basically when we do the spiritual gifts in a biblical manner, it touches people's hearts. It helps non-believers become believers. Now we're gonna see what happens if we do it incorrectly here in a second. So he says, speaking in tongues is for the non-believer. He says, prophecy is for the believer. Prophecy in this context is basically what we're doing right now, right? It's someone teaching. It could be an elder or another leader of the church feeling convicted by something. It could be uh, uh, us correcting the church, right? Sometimes we need correction. It's when we need encouragement. And Paul says the gift of prophecy, teaching, encouragement, correction, um, this benefits Christians. Now, what this means and what he's saying is it doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, we always need more knowledge about God. We always need more scripture. We always need correction because we're gonna make mistakes, right? And my God, we always need encouragement, right? Because it's a very discouraging atmosphere that we live in. What this emphasizes, though, is just how powerful this book is. If you have read this book all the way through and you go back and read it a second time, you're blown away by how much you missed the first time, correct? If you read it 35 times and you go back and read it the 36th, you will still be blown away by how much you never recognized before. So we need prophecy. We need trusted people to get up here and teach us, to correct us, to encourage us. We need that, okay? So that's all if things are working properly, right? Everything's firing in all cylinders, everything's good. Now what happens if it swings too far the other way? Well, the church in Corinth, again, smaller church, 50 to 150 people, what was happening in this church is they would gather together and they would get hyper-emotional. They would, all the feelings, right? It was all about the feelings. It was all worship. And what they would do is they'd all start speaking in tongues and they would be praying for each other. And they didn't have microphones back then, but just imagine they'd all run up and grab the mic and hey, God just wanted me to tell you this. And it became chaos, just very chaotic. And Paul said, listen, guys, if someone walks into that and they see this and they're not a Christian, they're gonna think you're crazy. Paul just going right down the gun barrel, right? You're gonna look like a bunch of wackos to them. So he says, this is not the way it's supposed to be done. Let me tell you a story. And again, it sounds like I'm picking on Pentecostal churches, and I'm not, I promise. Uh, I, I've made it a really good, I don't know if you'd call it a career. I've, I've made it a, a, a really interesting thing. I'm invited to speak places one time. Um, they never asked me back. <laughs> this has happened many, many times. And, and now I just don't get asked to speak that much anywhere anymore. Um, One time I was asked to go speak at at a a really big Pentecostal church up in Auburn Hills, Michigan. Uh, Church, I mean, not quite as big as this, but it was still a couple of thousand people. It was a good sized church. Went up to this church and I got my Bible and I'm sitting in the back of the room and I'm, you know, they're going to do the worship stuff and then I'll go up and teach. And I'm sitting there and I'm always looking at the room and I like to sit in the back of the room because I like looking at everybody and I noticed there were these four visitors that came in. They were obviously not from this church and they were sitting. I don't know why they sat right in the middle and not on the aisle, but that's where they chose to sit. And so they're sitting there and I'm looking at the back of their heads and they brought in a special worship leader. I won't say his name because he's kind of famous now. And, and they did the same song, I kid you not, for a half hour. And they do this song and they dressed in suits and stuff at this church. And I man, suit coats are coming off and People are stepping over pews and everyone's smacking each other's heads and people are speaking in tongues and people are laying on the floor and all this stuff. And I'm sitting in the back of the room and I see these four 20-somethings in the middle and they are terrified, absolutely horrified, Like, like buckled up like this, like, what did we get into? And they're sitting in the back and I'm getting angry, man. I mean, and the reason I'm getting angry is not that I don't believe in the supernatural things of God, but I'm just thinking about 1 Corinthians chapter 14, This is exactly what Paul was talking about. And so they finally get done. Everyone's sweaty. There's, you know, suit coats on the floor and I'm dressed like this. And I walk up there and I say, hey, this is Pastor Corey Trimble. He's gonna speak to us. And I got up there and this is why I was never asked back. I said, hey, listen, I'm not gonna speak to you tonight. Um, You guys have already exhausted all your energy and all your time. I said, you four in the middle, can I catch you after this and just talk to you back there and I'm gonna explain to you uh, the things that were wrong with this, this setting that you were in. And, and so, well, I, hey, they did pay for my flight back. But anyways, so I went to the back of the room and I just, I pulled out this chapter. And I said, listen, all these gifts are real and normal, but this is not the appropriate way. Here's the, hey, listen, here's the problem. Here's the problem. It is not so much about the speaking in tongues. It is about emotionalism and selfishness. Whenever the church becomes inwardly focused and it's all about just what I feel and what I get out of it, we are saying to the outside world, you're really not welcome. And Paul is saying, that is wrong. That is wrong. We should be a place where all people are welcome. So what Paul is trying to teach us is that if the church functions in a biblical manner, if we act like mature Christians, we can work in the gifts of the Spirit as long as we are genuine, as long as we have good theology. And if we do that, people's lives will be changed. People will be saved. So we have to balance the teaching of the word of God and making an a welcoming environment that anyone can come in and hear the Bible taught. And what Paul is saying is this, look, he says, God will reveal the secrets of the heart. What he's saying is we don't have to have elaborate, you know, explosions and sermon series and famous people running up here, juggling stuff on a, you know, unicycle. We don't have to do all these shenanigans. If churches would just teach the Bible, put your seatbelts on, if churches would just teach the Bible, the word of God will convict people's hearts and people will change. Fascinating, right? If we would just let God do what God does, if we can just connect people to God, Paul says, God will do the work. He'll do the heavy lifting, okay? All right, next part. (laughs) What then, brothers and sisters... Whenever you come together, each one has a hymn, a song, a teaching, a revelation, another tongue, or an interpretation. Everything is to be done for building up. If anyone speaks in another tongue, there should only be two or three at the most, each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no interpreter, that person is to keep silent in the church and speak to himself and God. Two or three prophets, or teachers, should speak and the others should evaluate. But if something has been revealed to another person sitting there, the first person should be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that everyone may learn and everyone may be encouraged. And the prophet's spirits are subject to the prophets. This is important. Since God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. As in all of the churches... Uh, as in all the churches of the saints, the women should be silent in church. Don't throw anything. I'm going to explain this. And are not permitted to speak, but are to submit themselves as the law also says. If they want, I'm going to explain it. It's getting there. Hold on. If they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, since it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Or did the word of God originate from you? Or did it come to you only? If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, he should recognize that what I write to you is the Lord's command. If anyone ignores this, they will be ignored. So then my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy. Do not forbid speaking in other tongues, but in everything, let it be done decently and in order." So I love what Paul says. Everything that we are doing in here is for the building up. So for several chapters, Paul has been talking about this idea of how we conduct ourselves in church. And I've said this a couple of times, but it's worth saying again, we have to conduct ourselves in a biblical manner in an orderly fashion to create an environment where anyone can walk in the doors and hear the gospel taught. So Paul basically gives us parameters of what church should look like. Sometimes people ask, well, why does church, why do we do the things we do in church? Why do we sing? Why do we read the word of God? Why do we pray? Why do we take communion? Because that's the way the Bible teaches it, and that's what church has always been. Reading the word, praying, singing songs, and taking communion, the Lord's Supper, right? So that's why we do what we do. So not only is that what we do, The church should also have people who are mature believers who step back and evaluate that we are doing things the way God wants us to do it. We call that elders. This church has elders, our campus in Woodbury has elders, our one in Shelbyville doesn't yet because it's only about eight months old, but eventually they will have their own set of elders as well. And what the elders do is they step back, they listen to me, they have access to everything, our finances and everything. I'm pretty open with you guys about all of our finances and stuff but they look at everything and just make sure that it has biblical integrity. Because without order, without clear biblical teaching, without proper leadership, dangerous theology can start to slip in. Guys, this is why we read line by line through the Bible. It's hard for me to throw stuff in when I'm reading straight from this, and you can read from it at the same time that I am. It really makes it hard for for bad theology to slip in there. We also have to, be make sure, we have to make sure that we are not letting our feelings, our emotions override the text. So we have elders who kind of keep all of that in check. Why? Because listen, this is so important. Because chaos and confusion and disorder are antithetical not only to the Bible, they are antithetical to the character of God. How do we know that? Because the Bible blatantly says that God is a God of order. Some of your translations, I use the CSB. If you use another translation, I love what it says. It says, God is not the author of confusion. Confusion is not a byproduct of God. Confusion is a byproduct of selfishness. What do I mean by that? When we live in a culture where we believe that that everyone's truth is their own, right? Relative truth. Well, that may be true to you, but it's not true to me. If we live where there is an infinite amount of truths, they're always going to eventually contradict. It becomes chaos. Right now, we call it the United States of America. Do we not? It is crazy. It is chaos right now. When we believe everyone's truth is valid, So if my truth is because I weigh 225 and I'm bigger than you that I can beat you up and take your car, that truth probably doesn't work out too well for you. They contradict. That's why there has to be an absolute standard of what is correct and what is incorrect. And so the Bible says God is a God of order. There are absolutes. There are standards. This is why the church must teach the Bible. Again, I keep saying that because so many churches don't do it but we have to teach this. This is the standard of right and wrong. So here's the tension that we live in. We hold on to this, we teach this, we do not compromise this, but we create an environment and a place, not just this place, I'm talking about you, that we are to create an environment around ourselves where people can ask us about the truth, where we can speak about the things of God and we don't scare people off or shove people away. We give them the opportunity. Now let's address this. And then he says, women can't do this. Now, here's the thing. I do not believe the Bible ever contradicts itself. If you study the Bible enough, there are no contradictions in the Bible. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says, when women prophesy and pray in the church, do it this way. So in chapter 11, Paul says, women, when you speak, when you teach in the church, and when you pray in the church, do it this way. Why would he contradict himself three chapters later? Well, he's not. He is referring to, more than likely, eldership in the church. The the, the role of elder, historically speaking, has always been with males. Now, do I think that's a heaven or hell issue? I don't think it's a heaven or hell issue. But historically speaking, the church has always had male elders. The other thing that that could be referring to is in the church in Corinth, there would be women, the wives of the person teaching, who would interrupt church service, right, and ask questions or correct their husbands. Listen, if you really want to emasculate your husband, that's a pretty good way to do it. In the middle of him teaching people, being like, hey, honey, you're really wrong there, right? (laughs) Thank you. So this is a problem that was happening. So the reason why Paul says, listen, don't do that in service. (laughs) Wait till you get home to set your husband straight, right? So my wife comes on Saturday and she's never been like, hey, eh, that wasn't good when I get home, she's like, hey, that point, not so good. And I don't do it on Sunday. So <laughs> the reason why you guys maybe get the better part of me is because my wife comes on Saturday night. So anyways, that's that explanation. And again, this has less to do with men and women. It has more to do with order, with respect. Because you gotta think, whether it be a man or woman, especially in a big church, if people were just to randomly ask questions, I'd never get through a lesson, it would be chaos. If you were to question a teacher, not just a Bible teacher, any teacher, in the middle of their lecture, it is disrespectful. It is off-putting to the people around you. If you go to MTSU, I'm gonna give you a great word of advice, don't try to correct your professor in class. If you do have a question, wait till afterwards before you that doesn't have their bachelor's questions them that has their PhD, right? Maybe wait and do that in private. And so Paul says it like this. He says, did the truth originate with you? No. Was the truth given just for your church? No. So Paul's point is this. Well, it's because you were freely given the truth, because you were in an atmosphere that gave you the opportunity to hear the truth, he said, you need to create that, that same kind of atmosphere that anyone can come in, right? Regardless if we agree or disagree with how they live, that they can come in and they can at least have the opportunity to respond to the truth. That goes back to this. This has to be our anchor. There were some Christians in the city of Corinth who were questioning Paul's authority. And I love what Paul does. Paul says this, he says, listen, if you question what I'm teaching you, Paul says this, just go back to the Old Testament and see if there is anything in the Old Testament that contradicts what I'm teaching you. This is why, again, I believe it's so important for churches to teach straight from the Bible is because if someone says, well, I don't agree with what you said, I'm like, I, I didn't write this. God, God wrote this through Paul, right? And if you have any problem with, with something, it's not with me. So the Bible always has to be our standard of truth. So let me tell you a wonderful out, a wonderful escape if you're a Christian in this crazy world that we live in. If someone ever comes up to you and they say, Corey, what is your opinion on this hot button issue? Right? What is your opinion on this controversial subject? My response is always, My opinion is completely irrelevant. I follow Jesus Christ. I believe the Bible is infallible. Let me show you what the Bible says about that issue. And that takes all the pressure off me, and it puts it all on the Word of God and on God, and He can handle it. So if someone says, What's your opinion? I'm I'm not the creator God. My, My opinion means nothing. Let me show you what God's opinion is on that matter, and that's what I follow, okay? We must also learn to honor authority. This is difficult. It's difficult because governmental authority has perpetually let us down, right? Because church authority has perpetually let us down. It is hard to honor authority in our current society. Again, I'm not going to pick on the government. I'll pick on church. We see moral failure all the time. We see a lack of of ethical use of finances and how they steward things. See it all the time, especially in American church. But the point is this, we cannot neglect the authority of the Bible if we're a Christian. We cannot neglect the authority of the local church. And if they're doing things unethically, you need to come out of that church. You need to find one that's doing things with transparency. And so... We're not to compromise our integrity, but whatever authority God has placed in our life, we are to honor that because ultimately when we honor authority, it honors God. That even goes for our work. Even if you don't have a great boss, that's why the Bible says you don't work unto your boss, you work as unto the Lord. So even if you don't have a great boss, your work ethic is not dependent on how good your boss is. It's dependent on the fact that you're a Christian and you're to work in a certain way. The bottom line is this, and we miss this so much in our culture. God will not give proper authority and honor to people who don't understand proper authority and honor. Be honorable, right? Act honorable, act respectful, understand authority. And at the end of this chapter, Paul gives a really, really simple recap, but we can miss something if we don't pay attention. He says, first, he says, be eager to prophesy. We can translate that to Paul saying, be eager to learn, be eager to teach, and be eager, 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 I'm gonna say it correctly, to absorb knowledge, intellect, right? The head, that's what he's saying. So he says, be eager to teach and learn. And then he says, and do not forbid speaking in tongues. That's not just about speaking in tongues. That is the supernatural side. What he's saying is, do not neglect your intellect, And do not neglect your emotions and the spiritual side of this. And do all of it orderly. Do it decently. The point is, is that we're to grow closer to God. We're to be vulnerable for God to use us however God wants to use us. We are to learn to love others. And we're to create a place, right, an environment where anyone can come in the doors and anyone can at least have the opportunity. Now, if they respond or not, that's not our problem. It is our problem to create a place where people feel comfortable enough to come and hear the truth be taught. Now, if we're going to accomplish these things, let's go back to this very provocative statement at the beginning of the lesson. We have to be infants to evil, but adults in our thinking. This is the exact opposite of what American culture teaches you right now. American culture teaches you right now that we are to pursue any feelings of the heart that we have, that we are to pursue those feelings without consideration of anyone else because it's my life, even though the Bible says it's not. We are to pursue all things because it's my life. So I don't consider you and I do not consider any consequences for the choices that I'm making. That's what you are told on a daily basis through a gazillion different mediums, okay? Now, let me, let me get a little weird on you guys this morning because it's fun. Uh, I have had kind of an obsession over the years of, of studying things about the occult. And if you've been here for a long time, you've heard me talk about these two individuals. The fundamental basis of satanic thought is not to worship the devil. I don't know if you guys know that or not. Most satanists are not, they, they don't even believe in God. They're atheists. The, the whole pursuit of satanism is the worship of the self, the individual. That derives from a man in the 19th century named Aleister Crowley. Alistair Crowley was called the most evil man on planet earth. He's the godfather of Satanism. And he came up with something called the law of Thelema. The law of Thelema simply states, do as thou wilt is the whole of the law. Translated to our modern day vernacular, just do what you want to do. That's the only law you need to be concerned about. A guy named Anton LaVey took the teachings of Aleister Crowley and in the mid 1960s in San Francisco wrote the Satanic Bible. I have a copy in my office. And he took the, the teachings of Aleister Crowley and at the very beginning of the Satanic Bible, it has the law of Thelema. Do as thou wilt is the whole of the law. This is American culture. Do what you wanna do, and if anyone tells you it's wrong, they're a small-minded bigot. It is all about you. We have become very adult when it comes to evil things, and we live in a state of arrested development, don't we? No one wants to grow up anymore. So here's the trick the Bible doesn't tell us to isolate from people like this. We're not, I said this last week we're not to be afraid of society, but we are to be wise as Christians as to what we subject ourselves to. We're not to be around evil. This simply means that, listen, what we entertain and what we engage in matters. I know last week that I told you, like, you know, use the cure in David Bowie to evangelize. This week, though, I'm telling you, be careful what you subject yourself to. Because Jesus even said in the, in the gospel of Matthew that the eye is the lamp of the body and whatever we take in through the eye can contaminate the entire soul. Jesus said that. So what you listen to matters. What you partake in matters, right? What you see matters. So if we are to be mature in our thinking, we have to, to, we, we have to follow the teachings of the Bible. And in order to follow the teachings of the Bible, this is gonna sound crazy, we have to read the Bible. It has to be a part of your life. Not only do we have to read the word of God, this teaches us how to be mature, Man, the Bible focuses on things like relationships and money issues and how we deal with conflict. It's a wonderful book. Not only should we be reading the Word of God, we need to be praying. Every single one of you in this room needs to have a prayer life. You need to pray every single day, every day not just read the word and pray, we need to meditate. And I don't mean this in an Eastern philosophical way. I mean this, take some quiet time, think on the things of God and be quiet and listen. It's hard to listen when we're constantly talking. Listen to God. And let me tell you another way to grow and become more mature is surround yourself with mature people. You need community. The Bible says that iron sharpens iron. But if you constantly hung out with dull wood... All right. So to think like an adult means that we love people. Altruistic, right? We want, what, we want what's best for other people. To be an adult means that we are considerate. That's a word that I'm not sure exists in the vocabulary of our culture today. Considerate, that we are considerate people. I am hyper impressed with considerate people. When I see people stand out of the way or open the door, or let that person merge over in traffic, right? (laughs) a lot of conviction right now. Everyone feels super guilty. I'm telling you, if you want to ask yourself if you love others, just drive from like the north side of town to the south side of town. I think we should install those blood pressure things in all of our cars, like where you drive around Murfreesboro and you're like, not doing so hot, right? Not loving people. My blood pressure is 200. We should be displaying the fruit of the Spirit. If you don't know what that is, Galatians chapter five. And let me tell you what, if, if, if we are mature, we are living by the principles of the word of God. We are living our lives in a way that models this book. Another thing that Paul talked about today that we read is that, listen to this, if the church is selfish and if the church is chaotic, the outside world is gonna think we're insane. If the church is selfish, if the church is chaotic, I'm not just talking about spiritual gifts, if the church doesn't have their act together and we're sloppy, the world is gonna think we're crazy. We're not to be that. On the other side of that coin, there is a certain level of peculiarity that Christians should always have that we should always stand out from the world. This is not in how we dress, right? This doesn't mean that we all go build a big commune and start making our own pants. That's not what that's talking about. When the Bible says that we are to be a peculiar, if you made your own pants today, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to offend you. That's, that's, you know, that's okay. What the Bible means when we are to be a peculiar people, we are to be peculiar in how we act, how we think, the principles that we value. What that means is in a world that says pursue self, pursue self, pursue self, the Bible says outdo each other with honor, right? Put others before yourself. Seek first the kingdom of God. The first or last and the last will be first. This is what the Bible, if someone slaps your left cheek off from your right, this is peculiar to the world around us. And this is how we are to stand out from the world. The other side of that is though we are to be distinct from the world, peculiar to the world, we are also to be welcoming and inviting to the world. This is what Jesus did. Hung out with prostitutes and tax collectors and liars and thieves, right? And that was not to condone what they do, but to create an an atmosphere, an environment to where they could be saved from what they do. This is what the church is to be, that we are to be peculiar and different for the sake of of building relationships so people can be delivered from the things that are dragging them to hell and ruining their life so they can have peace, so they can have contentment. So what we must do as a church and what we must do as Christian individuals is we must cling on to the supernatural. Do you know the word faith by definition means the belief in things that we don't see or understand? That's faith. That we are to cling on, that as wild and crazy and gross as the world gets, that we know God has a plan. That no matter how much fear porn is marketed to you, that's what I call the news, all these things, right? That we understand that God's in control that I'm going to be okay as long as I am anchored to him, that we are to live in this supernatural faith while also conducting ourselves orderly and peacefully and God-honoring. Because here is the cost if we don't. Listen, I'm going to say this in a way that I hope comes off encouraging. If we fail to live intentional and biblically-directed lives... If we fail to live intentional and biblically directed lives, you're going to lose your kids. You're going to lose your friends. You're going to lose family. We're going to lose a generation. And you may even get yourself lost in the process. What does that mean? This is where I that didn't sound encouraging. Here comes the encouraging part. <laughs> there is no one in the 8 billion people on planet earth that are just like you. You are unique to everyone because God made you that way. God made you with a purpose. God didn't make you accidentally. You're not a mistake. Because God was so intentional with the construction of your life, you are to not live haphazardly. There are too many people who claim Christianity who are walking around with accidental, haphazard, careless, flippant existences. And that's not the way it's supposed to be. You are too special for that. You are too precious for that. Live your life on purpose. God made you for a purpose, right? This Bible tells us our purpose and it tells us how we're to live. And if we don't do it, it's gonna cost us a lot. It's gonna cost us a lot. Because if the world around you needs one thing right now, it is some peace and it is some order. And the only way to get that is through the Prince of Peace and the God of order. Hey, listen, if we're just gonna be blunt this morning, you may need some peace and order. You may need some solace. I'm telling you, guys, it only takes about 10 minutes going through a news feed. If you got an iPhone, the Apple News, all you gotta do is just scroll through it and you're like, we're crazy. Everything's crazy, right? There's aliens, there's monkey pox, there's all kinds of, we're all, we're all either gonna be zapped by aliens or die by some kind of pox, right? and everyone's afraid and everyone's confused and we've thrown biology out the window and logic and reason and theology, we've lost our minds, we need order. So you and I have been offered a path to peace and order through the Prince of Peace, through the God of order. And in that, regardless of how insane society gets, we still have contentment, we still have peace, we still have joy. Now, listen, it's not just for you to possess. We are given that so we can go out in the world around us and we can see when our neighbor's home is falling apart, their marriage is falling apart, their children are running wild, you know, they're, they're close to taking their own lives that we can go and we can present to them. Listen, God has given me order and peace. You can have this too. You can have this too, but we have to live the truth. We have to know the truth. And it starts off with this, guys, and I know I say it every single weekend. You have to be praying. You have to be praying. You have to be reading the word. Even if it's just a chapter a day, even if it's on your commute to work, you can have it read to you on your commute to work. It'll take three to five minutes to read a chapter. That's if you're a slow reader. And we need to be listening for God, which means you need to intentionally turn off the radio, turn off CNN, turn off Fox, right? That means that you have to find a time to get quiet and listen. Let me ask you, are you and I vulnerable to God using us? Do we find ourselves in the position to where we say, God, whatever you want to do with me, do it. And I'm telling you, if you're sincere about that, I think God thinks it's funny. He'll always ask you to do something uncomfortable because it stretches us, because it makes us better people. I could get on a side note. This is a huge problem with our generation as well. We're completely afraid of anything that might be remotely dangerous. And there's a certain amount of danger and fear and, and, and uncomfortableness that we kind of need in our life sometimes to be stretched, to learn new things. And is it sometimes intimidating to say, God, whatever, come on, whatever you got. Yeah, it's a little unnerving sometimes. But then you see God do something miraculous with you and you're like, that wasn't so bad. Maybe I should let God do more with me. And we become vulnerable to that. Man, this is a tough one. Do we really love other people? Really? Really? If we say we truly love other people, I get a kick out of the word love in American society because we don't know what it means. If we truly love other people, we will be modeling biblical lives to them. Listen, if you're a parent in here, and I'm not trying to be a jerk, I got two kids as well. If all of your time and energy has been into their academics or into their sports, or if it's been, and I got nothing wrong with academics or sports, my girls do both, right? Right? If our focus has just been about how pretty they are or you know how many girls they date or whatever the case may be and we have not modeled to them what it means to live as a Christian, if we are not praying with them or we are not putting a love for the scripture in them, if we are not actually doing the things that the Bible tells them to do so they can see us, your kids watch you a lot more than you think, by the way. Are we modeling biblical lives? Are we building relationships with people different from us? And listen, if you truly love people, there has to come a time where you share your faith with him. I'm not saying that happens on the first conversation, but eventually if you build a relationship with someone, you got to share your faith. And most of the time people go, well, I don't want to cram Jesus down their throat. That translates to you're a chicken and you don't want people to not like you. Most of the time, what it is, is it's a fear of someone not liking me. Now, I'm not, trying, I'm not trying to tell you to be a weirdo, run into work with like a King James Version Bible and just start like beating your coworker. That's not what I'm telling you to do. But let me tell you, if you say you genuinely love someone, listen to me right here. If I say I genuinely love someone and their marriage is falling apart, their kids are falling apart, their soul's falling apart, and if I am holding the answer to their problem and I never give it to them or even offer it to them and I say I love them, doesn't sound like love to me. If I know that your life is falling apart, if I know that your soul is in the crossfire and I have this gift, now I present it, whether you accept it or not, that's on you. But it's my job to offer you the keys to get out of your prison cell. That's my job, right? If I love you. So here's the thing. Are we living outside of the natural? If you live solely in the natural, you're screwed. What I mean is, if you are living solely in the natural, one day you're going to die. One one day things are going to deteriorate. If we're living solely in the natural, fear is going to overtake you. Anxiety is going to overtake you. You're going to struggle. Things are going to fall apart if we live solely in the natural. We have to live in the supernatural power of God. We have to have faith that he has our best interests at heart. We have to have faith that he will provide what we need. Maybe not what we want, but what we need. We have to have faith that he has a plan. And that is uncomfortable. (laughs) But the only way that we can have peace and chaos, the only way that we can have order instead of disorder is we must have a relationship with the Prince of Peace and the God of order. That is it. We must lean on something outside of our understanding. Is it scary at times? You bet but it's the only way you're gonna find solace. It's the only way you're gonna find stability. It's the only way you're gonna find contentment and joy. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Man, I love you guys so much. Um, Sometimes I feel like I preach to the choir because you, you are a wonderful church. You love the word of God, you love people. And it's, you're, you're a remarkable group. I just wanna make sure that we're always doing what we're supposed to be doing. If you're in this room and maybe you're not a believer, i um, really glad you're here. My wife and I were not believers till our mid-20s and glad you're here. If you have any questions for us, up here on my right, your left, Pastor Patrick is up here. He's in charge of all of our family ministries. If you have any questions for Patrick, he would love to talk to you. If you're in this room, and you have a prayer request for anything. That could be financial, it could be family issues, it could be anything going on in your life. If there's a little bit of chaos and stress and disorder in your life and you want prayer for it, there's men and women on both sides of the stage, they'd love to pray with you, okay? All the way around this room, we also have communion. Wherever you see a lamp on a table, there's about 15 or 16 tables around the room. There is bread and wine on those tables. If you have asked Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins, you can get up and you can take the communion. Today as you do that, listen, I'm Just as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I want to encourage you. Not only does God love you, not only did God send his only son to die on the cross for your forgiveness of your sins and, and to help you. I'm going to be really straightforward. It is not God's desire that you live in chaos or disorder. That is not God's desire desire. So if you find yourself in the middle of chaos, that's not where God wants you to be. God can help you out of that. And today, maybe this is a time where where you get, get serious about it. And maybe you need to sit there, take that communion, that body and blood, and remember that God did not die on the cross for me to be overwhelmed by chaos. That's not it. Father, Lord, we love you. God, I thank you so much for this church, Lord. Everyone in this room, God, and everyone that's watching online, I pray that you just keep us safe. Protect us, protect our families, our marriages if we're married, God. Our children, Lord. Help us, Lord, not only to fall in love with you and get get peace and order from you, but God, help us to be courageous enough to go around to the community around us and share that, Lord, so someone else can be blessed by it. God, we thank you. We love you. We praise you. Pray all these things in your son's name, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. I love you guys so much. God bless you. Hope you have a good Sunday.